my name is Ahmed, as Angus introduced me. Uh, thank you, Angus. My, I'm Palestinian-Australian, um, born and raised in Gaza. And um, I migrated here uh, on my own in 2009. I was just recently in Gaza, actually, visiting family just last month. Um, and the whole thing that's happening at the moment just sounds very surreal. But before I start, I'd like to also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today and pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Um, this land was never ceded. Um, I want to thank you for welcoming me here today and giving me the opportunity to speak to you on this uh, occasion, talking about the right to resist Israel. Um, before I start, I just want to encourage everyone really to engage with us tonight um, as much as possible, um, to pose those difficult questions, if you have any. Um, the topic of Palestinian resistance is very, very crucial and central to the decades-long struggle and should be tackled head-on. Um, I'm not here to pretend that I know all the answers to those questions, um, but let's at least bring um, this topic to the mainstream and start discussing boldly uh, the right for Palestinians to resist, even violently at times um, in, the in the face of this brutal system of occupation, um, this terrorist state that is Israel. Um, I can go on and on about, how, about the history behind the Palestinian struggle and how we ended up here. Uh, I think many people wrote extensively about this but who has the time to read, right? Um, and that's, that's our problem. Uh, we get our information on the Palestinian struggle from news, from the media, from Hollywood, from um, various social media platforms that have hidden agenda. Um, all that information is highly likely to be without context, particularly the historical context, which is very important and very crucial. Um, and without the historical context, to the story of Palestine. You know, the disappearing Palestine sketches of Palestinian designated land disappearing from 1947, 48, you know, 67 and so on and so forth. Without that context, we end up having all those sorts of random, inaccurate and outdated terminologies thrown around such as Palestinian-Israeli conflict, Palestinian territories, Hamas militant groups, Palestinian terrorist groups, Palestinian Authority, I mean, come on, there's, there's no authority to Palestinians anywhere, really. Um, the story of the Palestinian struggle did not really start on the 7th of October, of course. It did not start in 2014, nor in 2007, when Hamas took control of the Gaza Strip. Not in 2000, when the Second Intifada erupted, nor did it start in 1987 when the Palestinians rose against the, the occupation in the first Intifada. Um, I'm not going to go through history, but I'd recommend uh, many books. One of them is the, for Rashid Khalidi. He, uh, it's called 100 Years um, War on Palestine, if anyone knows about that book. It's published in, 1917, in 2017. Um, it fairly accurately identifies that starting point. Um, 100 years from 2017, that brings us back to 1917, does anyone know what happened in 1917? Yeah, Belfort Declaration. So I'm not going to go through the history. Um, it is now very well established fact that Israel is essentially a settler colonial project that seeks 
to depopulate the Palestinian land by any means possible. We've heard the first ethnic cleansing project against the Palestinian population during the Nakba, the catastrophe in 1948, where more than 750,000 of Palestinians were forcefully pushed out of Palestine. Other thousands, of course, were massacres in the process that was necessary to push those 750,000 Palestinians out. Of course, um, I'm saying the first here because we are witnessing another one happening in Gaza, unfolding in front of our eyes right now. Following the Nakba, the Palestinians were limited to the West Bank, East <coughs> Jerusalem, and the Gaza Strip. You know, the West Bank and East Jerusalem was part of Jordan, and the Gaza Strip was part of Egypt. Um, then came the 1967 war, where, where Israel went, in, went on to annex the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and the Gaza Strip. And until now, Palestinians remain under military occupation. How many generations are these, I wonder? Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, two of the most prominent Israeli human rights organizations, including B'Tselem, Harvard Law School, even a former head of Mossad, the Israeli intelligence agency, has said Israel is imposing an apartheid system on the Palestinians. A war crime is being committed against the Palestinians day in and day out, a system of racial domination and dehumanization. The subjugation, the humiliation of Palestinians, the ongoing colonization of the land, the killing of the lives and livelihoods, the imprisonment of children as young as 12, the longest military occupation in the modern history, the besiegement of the Gaza Strip for the past 16 years following the appointment of Hamas, the government there in 2007. I mean, up until the 7th of October, more than 180 Palestinians were killed in the West Bank before the recent escalations. With its blind support to Israel, the world has allowed it to continue this criminal system of oppression and with impunity and to, and in, to indeed become an, an apartheid state. And so such a war crime should never be allowed to continue. The world must rid itself of this cancerous, racist, Zionist regime. The apartheid system must be dismantled and Palestine must be decolonized. Apartheid Israel has absolutely no right to exist and that should be, should be said very clearly and boldly in the media. Apartheid Israel has absolutely no right to exist in this modern world. But the world has given up on the Palestinians. They thought they can just ignore our struggle. They thought we'll eventually cave in and just give up. As the Zionist narrative went after the Nakba, you know, the old will die and the young will forget. And the Palestinians were left alone to fend for themselves, deserted by the Arab countries who are vying to normalize with the colonizers, torn by internal divisions that are maintained and fueled by the Israeli occupation. And stuck in limbo, empty statements of, and promises from the consecutive American administrations and the Western European nations. 75 years is a very long time to bear such injustice and an oppression. 16 years of besiegement, destruction, death and suffering is way too long to bear. Gaza was faltering in, in front of our eyes by the day. The biggest open air prison in the world. On the, on, the, on, the October, on, the, on the October the 7th, the Palestinians 
said no to all that. They have risen from the rubbles of Gaza. The generations who were brought up in and really saw nothing but the siege, the destruction, the death, have said enough is enough. You see the notion that resisting the colonizer and occupier is an act of unprovoked aggression is incredibly absurd and should be unequivocally rejected because colonization and occupation are inherently violent, oppressive and provocative to all sorts of aggression. And violence only breeds violence. As an occupying power, Israel has absolutely no right to defend itself from the occupied. Full stop. Occupation is the root cause of all aggression. Thank you. Nelson. Nelson Mandela said that it is only the oppressor, not the oppressed, who dictates the form of the struggle. If the oppressor uses violence, the oppressed have no alternative but to respond violently. And so, in the context of Gaza, there is always this seemingly confronting question about Hamas. What about Hamas? This is one of the easiest political ploys pushed by Israel and its allies from the Western governments to the mainstream media to demonize Hamas and to portray as the main obstacle to peace in Palestine, to portray as this fanatic Islamist bloodthirsty group that is hell-bent on the destruction of Israel. The truth is that Israel has engaged in oppressing, besieging and blockading Gaza Strip long before Hamas was established in 1987. Mm -hmm. To my understanding, calling Hamas a terrorist group is an insult to the Palestinian struggle and resistance movements. In their struggle against the occupation, the Palestinians have exhausted all means of non-violent civil resistance before resorting to the armed struggle. In their updated charter, Hamas has asserted its commitment to the 1967 border as the basis for a Palestinian state alongside Israel, the infamous two-state solution. And I quote, Hamas affirms that its conflict is with the Zionist project and not with the Jews because of their religion. Hamas does not wage a struggle against the Jews because they are Jewish, but wages a struggle against the Zionists who occupy Palestine. Yet it is the Zionists who constantly identify Judaism <coughs> and the Jews with their own colonial project and illegal entity. End of quote. These facts continue to be obscured by the Zionist propaganda machine of misinformation and disinformation. The same one that is suppressing the Palestinian nar narrative in the mainstream media. To call Hamas a terrorist group, like I said, is an insult to the Palestinian struggle. Israel can, can try all it can to eradicate Hamas as it's doing now in Gaza. And it may as well be able to achieve that. But neither Israel nor the West can ever eradicate the idea of Hamas, the idea of the resistance. Regardless of what the real truth is behind the events that took place on October the 7th, which led to this war, these genocidal atrocities and war crimes against Gaza, the Palestinians have the legitimate and unequivocal right to resist the occupation and apartheid until Palestine is decolonized until Palestine returns 
free from the river to the sea as it once was. Palestinians, Jews, Christians, and Muslims living side by side in love and harmony. And that's what's meant by the slogan, from the, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, it, which they're trying to ban at the moment in Australia. It does not really mean death to the Jews, as, it, as, it, as illiterate people claim. It simply means the end of occupation, the end of colonization, and the end of apartheid. As, and these, these are the correct terminologies that we need to be using in the mainstream, that we need to use instead of using a, you know, instead of conflict, it's called colonization and apartheid. It is Palestinian occupied territories instead of Palestinian territories. It's the Palestinian resistance fighters instead of Hamas terrorist group. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ahmed, for that excellent speech. Uh, we'll now hear from Jean. Thanks, Ahmed. Um, I also want to acknowledge that we're meeting tonight on stolen Aboriginal land. And I want to acknowledge that the Aboriginal movement has always stood arm in arm with the Palestine struggle. Um, and that we are always going to be on Aboriginal land and Palestinians are always going to be on Palestinian land. 19 days ago, when Hamas broke out of Gaza and launched its attack on Israel, our leaders lit up the Opera House, the Empire State Building, the British Houses of Parliament, the Brandenburg Gate in the Israeli flag, blue and white. Joe Biden, Rishi Sunak, Emmanuel Macron flew to Israel to provide unconditional and unequivocal support for Israel. But from the very start, it was crystal clear what Israel was going to do. Their military and political leaders have been clearly and openly calling for genocide. They say Gaza will be left with only tents. The Palestinians are human animals. This moment represents a historic chance to finish the Nakba. It's Nakba 2.0 and we're going to drive people um, you know, into the Sinai Desert. It's been clear from the start that they're calling for genocide. And this is what our leaders have been cheering on. Wall-to-wall -wall media propaganda. Israel has the right to defend itself, they say. Anyone who supports Palestine supports terrorism and is an anti-Semite. Before our eyes, we're, we're watching the most advanced weapons that capitalism has ever developed, raining down on people who have no water, no power, no food, who are living in a concentration camp and they're carpet bombing it. There are no words to describe the hell that they're creating in Gaza. This lies and the brutality are nothing new. As Ahmed's talked about, 75 years of oppression of the Palestinians and constant lies are nothing new. But we should not underestimate the impact right now that this politics is having globally in our society and around the world. I think we're seeing a crisis which is dividing the world along class lines. Our leaders look at what's going on and they say, we are with Israel. But in our thousands and our millions, we are all Palestinians. Yeah. That's been a chant that <laughs> you know, we've chanted that for years. You know, small demonstrations whenever there's an atrocity. That is the reality now that millions of people can see. They look at what's going on and they say, "We are with Palestine." And look at the mass movement that's broken out. You know, the French government completely banned um, protests for Palestine and there are millions on the streets. 30,000 here in Sydney, 30,000 in Melbourne, Tunisia, 
um, Athens, everywhere you look, people have broken out uh, protesting for Palestine, kids in the US walking out of schools, tens of thousands of Jews outside of the Capitol building um, in America, and 500 who occupied and got arrested. And they say, not in our name, ceasefire now. They said, it's because we're Jewish. It's because of the history of the Holocaust that we know when you call people human animals and when you lock them in a concentration camp, you are intending to commit genocide. And they're standing up and saying no. You know, we've had the attempt by the police here and Chris Means to ban our, you know, ban our protests, every kind of intimidation, every kind of criminalisation, and yet people are standing up and fighting back. We say smash the Israeli terror state. And what does it mean to call Israel a terror state? Israel terrorises the Palestinians, and we're watching that right now. But it gets the unconditional support of the West because its real target is to terrorise the entire Middle East. We can't understand the role Israel is playing simply by looking at their treatment of the Palestinians. They certainly are colonisers, but their role in imperialism is what makes them what they are. In 1951, Haaretz, the Israeli newspaper, wrote, Israel is to become the watchdog. There is no fear that Israel will undertake any aggressive policy towards the Arab states when this would explicitly contradict the wishes of, U of the US and Britain. However, if for any reason Western powers should sometimes close their eyes, Israel could be relied upon to punish one or several of the neighbouring states whose discourtesy to the West went beyond the bounds of the permissible. In 1986, Joe Biden told US Congress, Israel is the best $3 billion investment we make. Were that on an Israel, the United States would have to invent an Israel to protect their interests in the region. And the $150 billion that the US has given to Israel since 1948 is America's investment in controlling an entire region through terror. Israel is the world's 11th biggest arms manufacturer on a piece of land a third the size of Tasmania. In 2008, the US passed legislation that guarantees Israel maintains a qualitative military edge over any other Middle Eastern power. The truth is that Israel could never have existed if it didn't play a key role for American imperialism. Israel is a military garrison for American interests, a watchdog, a weapons factory and a colonial overlord all wrapped into one. Israel's the crown jewel in, U in the American control over the richest oil region in the world, a central strategic asset of fossil capitalism. It's a rich commodity pumped from under the feet of millions of Arab workers living in poverty who've been subjected to decades of US wars, US dictators and people who yearn for freedom. And this is really crucial because it points to how Palestinian liberation can be won. Palestinian liberation is the pumping heart of Arab politics because Arab oppression is at the end of the day overseen by Israeli aggression. In 2011, in the Arab Spring, we saw a fire of revolution spread across um, the Middle East and jump borders, threatening the dictatorships in Tunisia, Bahrain, Iraq, Egypt. These were revolutions against dictators, but Palestinian flags were in all of them. In Egypt, the, mo the movement that toppled Mubarak opened the Rafah crossing, cut gas to Israel and attacked the Israeli embassy. This gives us a taste of the power of those masses of, of Arab people, their understanding of the centrality of Palestine and their potential to cripple Israel. These movements obviously were wound down by, ground down by counter-revolution and civil war, but the fault lines that they exposed 
are structural, they're hardwired into the, um, into na into the nature of the Middle East. Um, Ahmed spoke about the, you know, the normalisation process that we've seen since the end of the Arab Spring. The Abraham um, Accords that saw Bahrain, the UAE, Morocco and Sudan recognise Israel following alongside Jordan that had made a peace deal in 94 and the Saudi government that was on the brink of these normalisations. All of these deals are still in place. All of these you know, di dictators make peace with Israel, sell and buy weapons from Israel, sell and buy natural resources from Israel. Right now, they're talking pro-Palestine. Right now, they want to put all of those um, deals behind the curtain because they know very well that the, the resistance against Palestine can once more kick off the kind of fight that we saw um, in, the, in the Arab Spring. And let's talk about Egypt. It's actually Israel's closest ally, but the overwhelming majority of Egyptians hate Israel and want to see victory for the Palestinians. So what's going on right now? The, the Sisi regime has, um, has called pro-Palestinian, pro-regime demonstrations because they understand they need to make some um, gesture towards the sentiment. So they've tried to call pro-government, um, pro-regime demonstrations, but people have called independent demonstrations where for the first time since the dictator Sisi came in, people have broken into Tahrir Square once again, saying we want to see the fall, of, the people want to see the fall of Israel, just like they said the people want to see the fall of Mubarak um, during 2011. So watch this space because the the, the pressure that those Arab leaders are under, where millions and millions of people want to do some, take some kind of direct action in support of Palestine, is, is, is a really important and potent um, thing going forward. But the freedom for Palestine is not just a question for people in the Middle East and for Arabs. Yesterday, Penny Wong called for a humanitarian pause. It's important to recognise the, the, the language is shifting. There's, you know, because there's such massive opposition to what Israel's doing, they have to talk about some humanitarian concern for civilians. But when you are backing the people who are carpet bombing, when the people who could turn on the water, the people who could turn back on the, the power, the people who could open the borders, then concern for civilians is a mere fig leaf. Penny Wong has blood on her hands. If you want to save civilians in Palestine, you need to break with Israel and break with the US. But the absolute opposite is happening. Right now, Albanese's in America. You know, Biden was embraced by Netanyahu, got blood all over himself, and Albanese's rushing in to dash himself all over. They're sending, you know, Australian troops to the Middle East. Um, you know, to back up what America's doing there. And what's Albanese talking about? The AUKUS deal. You know, you talk about freeing Palestine. We, uh, the Australian ruling class is putting itself at the forefront of US imperialism in Southeast Asia um, in its war against China. You know, the AUKUS deal, troops in Darwin, a military base in Port Kembla, the Australian ruling class is very, very happy to have the US backing when it goes around Asia doing its deals. And in return, it's very, very happy to position Australia with its you know, interoperability with the US military. This is a massive thing. The qualitative increase in Australia's participation in US imperialism could not be more palpable. This has got to be our target in Australia. We say break the US-Australian alliance, cripple American imperialism. in 
in the US are already showing that a majority of both Democrat and Republican voters are for an immediate ceasefire, and that is a very, very profound thing. But I think we need to be clear. Popular opinion is not going to stop this carnage. Popular opinion is not going to stop um, the, the, the tyranny in Palestine. I'm, people may not be as old as me, but I was organising in the war um, <clears throat> to try and stop the war in Iraq. It was overwhelming that people did not want the war, they didn't believe the lies. We marched in our millions and that was very important and people resisted in Iraq and that was very important. But it did not stop America. They went in and they killed a million people. Popular opinion will not be enough. And the question I think that's coming right now is how do we build the power that can actually throw ourselves into disruption and stop this war machine? And that's what I want, I think, <coughs> talk about um, Talk about how we do that. We have to learn from Australian history. Look at what they did in the Vietnam War. They marched, they organised weekend demonstrations, leafleting sit-ins, raising money for the, um, for the NLF, for the Vietnamese fighters, all of these kind of things. But one of the keys was the industrial strength of unions actually taking direct action to stop the war. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing we need now. <clears throat> Maritime workers during the Vietnam War refused to um, lo load and unload ships that were going to Vietnam. At one point they had a complete industrial ban on all American ships. People marched off work for moratoriums where tens and hundreds of thousands of workers, school teachers, construction workers, down tools, economic disruption to stop the war machine. And I think when you look at all of our governments and all of our oppositions, lining up to support this kind of thing. That question is now, how do we organise the power that can stop this, that can defend life, that can defend justice, that can defend freedom? And that's the kind of action we, <coughs> that's the kind of action we need now. We, no business as usual, no Israel trips from our universities, no Israeli ships docking in Port Botany, no US, US bases in Darwin and Port Kembla. We need to organise and resist every one of these things. I just wanted to finish, Palestinian trade unions have released a call, <coughs> very moving call, to end all complicity and stop arming Israel. It says at the very end, we ask you to speak out and take action in the face of injustice as trade unions have done historically. We make this call in the belief that the struggle for Palestinian justice and liberation is not only a regionally and a globally determined struggle, it is a lever for the liberation of all the dispossessed and exploited of the world. This is a call to action. This is a call for resistance. We've got to build the power in Australia that can actually free Palestine, that can break Australia from US imperialism and build a better world.